Good morning, everybody. Um, so the first uh, reading that we have is Psalm 49. That's on page 567, 567. And when you've found that, um, our next reading after that is on page 1196, 1196. And I'll say those again uh, as I read them. Okay, so we're going to read from Psalm 49. Why should I times of trouble. Hear this, O peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble? When the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches, truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beast that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol, with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though, while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perish. Our second reading is in 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 17 to 19, page 1196. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Good morning, everyone. Oh, that's working for sure. 
Hey, thank you guys for having me back for another week, for letting me back in the doors. It's a real privilege to be with you speaking on this topic of wealth. How about we pray and ask that, irrespective of whoever gets to come and speak up here on the scriptures, that God himself would speak to us. So let's pray together. Father God, we, we long to hear you speak to us today about your son and to give us wisdom so that we might live in your household the way you desire, especially when it comes to wealth, which is so deceitful and yet so wonderful when it's enjoyed for you. Please help us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we began this mini-series on money with a focus on global generosity, our wealth for the world. And we went on, not on a guilt trip, but a grace trip through Corinthians 2, 8 to 9. Because it is by the grace of our Lord Jesus, who is so rich, but became so poor for us, by grace, even beggars beg to give globally, and so take part in true prosperity and global thanksgiving. And if you were here last week, or you tuned in online, I hope you did your homework, and you spent some time reflecting on your budget, because this week we turn to wealth here. And if you're new or visiting, welcome. You've joined us today for an internal audit as we ask, what difference does Jesus make to my money? Our money? His money? Here at Wild Street, Botany St. Matt's, I should say, here in the household of God. Today we're going to attempt an overview of what the whole Bible teaches about wealth in the household of God by focusing on the book of 1 Timothy, which was written, see if the verse will come up, so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. How you ought to behave in the household of God, and just like Jesus speaks more about money than he does about sex, violence, or even heaven and hell, it's no surprise that Paul packs 1 Timothy full of clear instructions about how we ought to behave in the church when it comes to wealth. And it's in 1 Timothy that we find the source of the infamous saying, money is the root of all evil. So we're at point one of our outline. Is money really the root of all evil? Well, have you ever thought the Bible seems a little bit negative about money? Every time Jesus speaks about money, he always speaks with a warning. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. When he saw the merchants making money in the temple, Jesus was angry. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, made a whip and drove out the merchants who made his father's house a den of robbers. It was the enemies of Jesus, the Pharisees, who were described as lovers of money. It was Judas, the betrayer, who not only stole from the common purse, but in the end, he sold our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And when that rich young ruler came to Jesus and he asked, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Jesus told him this, sell all you have and distribute to the poor and you have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich, and Jesus, seeing that he becomes sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person 
to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says how difficult it is for the rich. Some leave sad, but others of us say, nah, I'll give it a try. I'll make it to the eye of the needle. Sometimes the Bible does seem pretty negative about money. But while the Bible does clearly warn about the dangers of money, it doesn't actually say that money is the root of all evil. No, money may have its dangers, but it is the love of money that destroys. If you have your Bibles open to our passage today, please flip a little bit back up or scroll back up to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Here, Paul is speaking about false teachers who only preach to get rich. Creflo Dollars, Joel Olstein, Kenneth Copeland. He speaks about false teachers, and this is what he says about them. They are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For money is the root of all... Oh, excuse me. I think uh, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, there's a, a lot in there, right? But do you see that it's not money, but the love of money that's a root of all kinds of evil? Yes, money may have its dangers, but it is a love of money that destroys. It's not being rich, but the desire to be rich, or more the desire to have the wealth that plunges people into ruin and destruction. And this is a sober warning for us. Do you love money? Do you wish you had just a little, maybe a lot more? Now, I'm not talking about needing a little, maybe even needing a lot more. There are those amongst us here who are doing it tough. But is food and clothing really good enough for you? Are you content with what you have? Or are you jealous of the rich and all their money can buy? I think most of us find something to be a little jelly about as we look out at the opulent eastern suburbs. You know, houses and cars and clothes and tech and lifestyle and location, location, location. Would your life be better if you had the bank balance of Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, or Elon Musk before he bought Twitter? Because if you are obsessed with money, and you wish to be rich, be warned. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And so we must all guard our hearts against this love of money. We must fight against the desire to love money and become rich. But what if we are rich already? I mean, we live today, and we meet today, wherever you come from, we're meeting today in one of the wealthiest suburbs of one of the wealthiest nations in perhaps the wealthiest era of history that has ever been. And again, while some of us here are struggling financially, many of us are very wealthy. Not going to start naming names. 
but is that a bad thing? Is it wrong to be rich? Should you feel guilty about the privilege of your money? Should you get rid of your money as fast as you can and pass on the problem to somebody else? Do the rich here at Wild Street need to repent of being rich? Well, keep your Bibles open to our passage today, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, where we will discover that what the Bible has to say about wealth is far richer. Here, Paul tells Timothy what to command the Christian rich who, by God's grace, have made it through the eye of the needle. And you might be surprised as we discover what wealth is not for, where wealth comes from, and finally, what wealth is for. So first, what wealth is not for. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. So we began with warnings about wealth, and the warnings continue, because wealth is not for pride or for hope. If you've read Harry Potter, it's the poor Weasleys who are mocked endlessly. If you've watched Aladdin, it's the street rat on the outside looking in. It's really hard to be proud about poverty, about second-rate stuff, about the places that you haven't been or you can't afford to go, about the experiences you haven't had. It's not easy to admit that you can't afford to join in that you can't afford to give your children the very best. It's hard to be proud when you're poor. Far easier to be proud when you're rich, when you can invest in yourself and build yourself up with the very best, high above the rest. When you don't have to worry about what you need, you can afford to worry about what you want. Every advertisement whispers, you've earned it. You deserve it. You're worth. Do you know how much this number plate costs? And why that guy is looking with shifty eyes at him? Uh, $14 million. And I learned in my audiobook yesterday that Winston Churchill, do you know how much he spent annually on his underwear? $8,000 for his undies every year. Because when everyone else has their mansion and their fleet of luxury cars, how else can you set yourself apart? Yes, it's easy to be proud when you're rich. You can afford to invest in yourself and build yourself up higher than the rest. Brothers and sisters, this is how the world thinks about wealth. But not here at Wild Street. Not here at St. Matt's. No, here in the household of God, wealth is not meant to divide us. You are not bigger if you have more bucks in your bank account. No, wealth is not for investing in ourselves and puffing ourselves up above others. And nor is it for hope. Because only fools set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. You know, where possible, wise people set their hopes on something that is certain, certain outcomes. It's just dumb to set your hope on what's not certain. And earthly wealth is as volatile as a stock market and as vulnerable as any freak accident. My uncle was a wealthy surgeon, but in a single moment, the car in front of his bike screeched to a stop and he became a quadriplegic. Don't store up your treasure on earth, Jesus said. In Palestine, Jesus warned of moth and rust. In Australia, it's bushfire and flood. 
pandemic and perhaps war on the horizon. And not only is money uncertain, it's powerless. Oh yes, money can open many doors. Maybe you've seen the movie Catch Me If You Can, where a con man, he finds that his ill-gotten gains can get him into all sorts of places. Airline lounges, fancy restaurants, even the bed of a beautiful woman. But his money couldn't save his parents' marriage or bring him any peace. The fuller his bank balance, the emptier his life became. You know, we live in one of the wealthiest nations on earth, and we are racked by anxiety and mental health issues. The famous novelist John Steinbeck, he said, maybe everyone is too rich. I've noticed that there's no dissatisfaction like that of the rich. Feed a man, clothe him, put him in a good house, and he will die of despair. Because while money can open many doors, it cannot fix our deepest problems. Money can't buy you happiness, it can't buy you purpose, and it certainly cannot buy you love. The greatest of the Bible's love poems, the Song of Songs, says this, if a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. And of course, money can't buy forgiveness. Money can't keep us from death and judgment. And that's what we read in Psalm 49, that no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the poor. Brothers and sisters, are you setting your hopes on the uncertainty of riches and wealth? If I were to ask you if you've got enough for tomorrow or if you've got enough for your retirement, do you think first of your bank account? And you're super? Do you even think of God at all? If you've got no bank account or super to think of, then all you've got to think of is God. But if your fridge is stuffed and your wardrobe overflowing, if you've got your house and your power to purchase whatever you want, then it's easy to forget God and to set your hopes on other things. Daily bread? I can afford to pay. I don't need to pray. And this is exactly what God warned the people of Israel about just before they entered the promised land. God warned those recent slaves, now poor wanderers, that just in a moment they were going to become rich and they would be tempted to forget him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Take care, lest you forget the Lord, lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. You know, the danger of being rich is that we might forget the Lord our God because we have so many other things to remember. We have wealth to keep us safe for tomorrow and give us everything we need. But wealth is uncertain, and ultimately it is powerless. So wake up, St. Matt. Perhaps we need to pray for those precious people in our midst who are rich, that God would help them not to forget him. Perhaps we need to pray this famous prayer from Proverbs, that we be given, give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. My uncle, 
who became a quadriplegic. He lived on uh, for a few years after his accident. And just before he died, my dad went to be with him. And he said something that my dad didn't expect. He said, I thank God for doing this because he needed to do this to get a hold of me. I was going away from him and he needed to do this to bring me back. Brothers and sisters, wealth is not for pride or for hope. Don't be haughty and set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Instead, and here we're at point three, where wealth comes from, set your hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Sadly, I don't think most Australians believe this. (laughs) No, I think most Australians today, they believe that God is either a stingy miser who's going to go to manipulate by doing good things for him, or he's an unnecessary hypocrisist. We were having lunch with uh, my non-Christian family, uh, who are really lovely, and they invited us to have a, a big meal with them, and um, we went, Kate and I, just to give thanks to their kids on the side. Um, But the host interrupted us, I won't say who it was, don't thank God, thank me. I worked hard for that, and I cooked it myself. Reminded me of the Simpsons prayer, God, we paid for all this ourselves, so thanks for nothing. (laughs) Uh, Most Australians, they see God as an unnecessary hypothesis. But this is the pride and folly of the rich. I'm sorry, Homer Simpson. I didn't know that you maintain the physical laws of the universe. Oh, your money keeps gravity going, does it? You bankrolled the invention of breathing so you could breathe. You sized up the capacity of the lungs, ensured the delicate balance of gases and the atmosphere that holds it in to maintain just one small part of the critical functions of your body. Oh, well done on that choice that you made to be born in a prosperous place at a peaceful time with a beautiful body and innate talents and a good private school down the road. What a sad, selfish view. Nobody to thank. Nobody to depend on. But the Bible teaches, we can see it everywhere, that we rely on God for everything. Yes, you cooked it, but only because God upholds you in your very being. Yes, you worked for it, but only because God is always at work to give you a world where you can live and work and have your being. Even you who thanklessly treat him as an unnecessary hypothesis. Because Jesus teaches us that God is the God who makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God richly provides even to those who consider him an unnecessary hypothesis. And that alone should be enough to convince us that God is not a miser who needs to be convinced to give you good things. No, God is not an Ebenezer Scrooge who hoards up for himself or a Santa who only gives to those who are good. No, God is more like Niagara Falls. Somebody once entered a photo of Niagara Falls in a competition, uh, and their caption that they chose was, more to come. More to come. God is like a million Niagara Falls because there is always more to come. Because God is the God, our passage tells us, richly provides us all things. 
In the beginning, God made a good world, and he stuffed it full of treasure. He planted a garden bursting with fruitfulness. And even when we squander our wealth and invest our resources in our selfish selves, even when we thanklessly sell the Lord of glory for the price of our own desires, God keeps on giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to pay the costly ransom, the price of all our lives, so that we can be forgiven and never see the curse, but live on forever. And if that were not enough for him to give us his only son, still he wants to richly give us more. Yes, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God is like a millionaire in Niagara Falls. There is always more to come. And if you don't know God like this, if you haven't received the gift of forgiveness, an unending gift, then today is the day, my friend. Sell everything you have. Give it all up if it's keeping you from receiving Jesus and in him every good gift of God. Because if you have God, then you have everything. And if you don't have God, then even what you have will one day be taken away. Because it is only God's forgiven people who can be certain that God will richly provide us with everything forever. And do you see why he gives us everything? Final point, point four, what wealth is for. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything There's this lie in our culture today that if you are privileged, then you should feel guilty. You should feel guilty about being rich or white or talented or whatever. Now, admittedly, there are some complexities here, but unless you stole your privileges, and then yes, you should give them back, then you shouldn't feel guilty about the gifts God has given you. You should feel grateful, and you should enjoy them. God gives good gifts, and he wants us to enjoy them. And do you know what the best way is to enjoy your wealth and all the gifts God gives? By doing good. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Wealth is not for pride or hope. No, wealth comes from God, and it's for enjoying by doing good. You know, Christians don't enjoy their gifts by indulging themselves. Earlier in 1 Timothy, this is what we are told, that she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. As one writer says, if you don't love to give, then you're not a Christian at all. Hold on to your money, give none of it away, and you will be beggars for all eternity. Ah, but it's not your money I want. It's your happiness. It's your joy. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than receive. And I want your blessedness, your happiness. 
the happy life is joining God in doing good, being rich in good works. Instead of pride that divides us, being generous and ready to share in a way that unites us. Does this describe you? Would your child or your mom or your husband or your brother or sister, would they know you as someone who's rich in good works, generous and ready to share? Do you want to be? Let me give you a couple of opportunities. And these really are just a couple of opportunities because there's no end of way to love God and love your neighbor. And of course, it's not just the rich who can be rich in these good works. We're about to meet a poor widow who has a reputation for good works. But there are some good works that money is made for, or at least useful for. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, we meet two groups of people who represent two types of interconnected needs which wealth is made for meeting. Earthly needs, represented by the widows, and eternal needs, represented by the elders. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. I'm not sure about St. Matt's. I'm still getting to know you guys. But I know in the wider Wild Street community that we are privileged to have widows in our midst. And if you are a widow with us today, then God really does know how hard your suffering is. He cares especially for you. He's written your sufferings into his book. Because in the Bible, the poor are given faces. They are the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. And God's people have always been commanded to care for the poor in their community. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel are told to say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house. Moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandments that you have commanded me. Now, we'll come to the Levite in a moment, but do you see how God commanded his sacred portion was to be given to the poor amongst his people? Half of 1 Timothy 5 is devoted to how the household of God is meant to leverage their wealth for the widow. And there's a lot of wisdom in here that we just don't have time to unpack, or at least I don't. Maybe over morning tea you can discuss this. Um, but let me just show you three things. Firstly, with our wealth, we have an obligation to our biological family. 1 Timothy 5 verse 4 says this, But if a widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return for their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. And I think this verse is also pleasing in the sight of parents. <laughs> I mean, have you made a good return for your parents? Are you caring for your family? This pleases God. And if not, well, look at verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. Brothers and sisters, we have an obligation to our biological family not to give them everything they want, but certainly to help with what they need. Secondly, we have an obligation to our Christian family. We are to care for those who are truly widows. 
the Bible is clear. Uh, we saw it all throughout our series in Acts that we are to meet the needs of our Christian brothers and sisters. Here's from 1 John. 1 John says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And I want to say that my family has really been on the receiving end of this sort of generosity uh, in, in the Wall Street community. If you're visiting today, then I can honestly say that if you want to join a community where the wealthy are generous and they meet so many needs, where meals are provided for people with newborns and, or when people are sick, where money is given to lend a helping hand and far more, and if not just the rich, uh, at church, um, at the AM congregation uh, where we go, there's a widow who watches our children for us. The widow is helping us. We've not had to buy clothes for our children because the Wild Street community has shared what they've had. We are so grateful to be part of a community that is rich in good works. And by the blood of Jesus, you are welcome to join our family. We are to use our wealth to do good to our biological family, our Christian family. And thirdly, we are to be a community whose wealth overflows in love to our neighbor. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, As we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially to Christian family. But whenever we have the opportunity, to everyone. In the early church, Christian writers, they boasted that Christians are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things, and yet abound in all. And in case you thought that was some tricky propaganda, it's not just the Christians. Listen to the Roman Emperor Julian, who persecuted Christians. This is what he had to say. Christianity has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. It's a scandal that there's not a single Jew who's a beggar, that the Christians care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. Wild Street, we should be a community whose wealth overflows. Do you leverage your wealth to do good for your family, your Christian family, and for the community at large? And if you want to join us in these endeavors, I think you've just missed out on the Christmas boxes that we send out, but we support needy children through compassion and Anglican aid. And I'm just not sure what you guys do here at um, St. Matt, so I'm sure you'll get up after and tell everyone, Andy. But I know at Wild Street AM, we have a partner's relief fund that you can share your money in. So if something comes up for someone in the congregation, there's a way to meet each other's needs. And if you want to give to any of these, I know there's like a funny box back there that I think you can give to, or online is probably the best way. Um, the other half of 1 Timothy 5 is devoted to elders who serve our eternal needs, caring for the poor in spirit. Verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, in the Old Testament, it was the Levites. In the New Testament, it's the elders, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And the whole book of Timothy, uh, if you go back and read it, hopefully, after this morning, you'll see it's very much about teaching. 
stopping false teachers, and teaches the gospel truly. Because our behavior in the household of God and the way we handle our money, it all comes from the teaching of the gospel. Jesus is the one who makes this massive difference with our money. And so the leaders who teach are to be carefully selected. A few verses later, a few verses later, Paul's going to tell Timothy, "Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, for overseers must not be lovers of money. Deacons must not be greedy for dishonest gain." No, our leaders are to be carefully selected, as they have been here at St. Matt's and the Wall Street community. And so Christian leaders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. They are worth their wages. Brothers and sisters, using our wealth to support the proclamation of the gospel by worthy men and women is not just another opportunity. It is an obligation. Non-Christians are not going to pay for the world to hear Jesus here at church or around the world. And as our church budget is currently sitting at a deficit, I reckon we can do better. I think I've asked for a slide to be made. I don't know if it's there. Oh, here we go. Look at this picture of our gospel workers. Wow. They all look pretty good. Hmm. Um, do you benefit from the labors of these guys? I know maybe, you know, um, that's the... It's just the guy from the top left you benefited especially from, but you do benefit from all of them in a little bit. Um, brothers and sisters, the laborer deserves his wages. Andy deserves his wages. Eleanor deserves... I would pay a lot to have... I, if Eleanor wasn't here, I would I'd try and like raise the budget to get her here because I just love the work she does with us for our kids. Don't you want to see the children and youth growing Jesus? Don't you want to hear... And have the privilege of seeing Andy keep running the life course. And Lord willing, see people come to know Jesus and grow in him. Do not rob those who labor to preach and teach what will build you up for eternity. Don't rob yourself of the opportunity to store up eternal treasure. And this brings us to the final, final point. <laughs> I promise. Wealth is not for pride or for hope. No, wealth comes from God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, to enjoy by doing good for the sake of eternal treasure. You know, we brought nothing into this world. We can't take anything out of the world. But somehow, the Christian rich can, verse 19, store up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. In many ways, wealth is always about the future. You know, money stores value, which you can trade in tomorrow for what you really want. Does my daughter really want a $2 coin today? No. What she wants to do tomorrow is to trade that in for a juice cup at school. And if you don't know about juice cups, well, there's a lot too much to say about them. What do you really want to trade your money in for? Because the reward for obeying these commands is treasure in heaven. God is inviting you today to invest your perishable, uncertain wealth for imperishable, certain treasure in heaven. That is like the best exchange rate 
ever. Get on board. Invest your earthly money in heavenly shares that pay eternal dividends. Now, I know that you want to know what are the treasures. They're better than we can imagine. The pleasure of God, the gratitude of brothers and sisters helped on the way to our eternal home, brothers and sisters who wouldn't otherwise be there, but because of our grubby little coins, they will walk forever on the streets of Rome. It's incredible. Like Niagara Falls, with God, there's always more to come. He gives the rich new life, brings them through the eye of the needle, then he stuffs their hands full of treasure, and he includes them in the blessing of giving, and then he rewards the rich with heavenly treasures for the way they use their earthly treasures that he gave them in the first place. You cannot outgive God. With God, there's always more to come. He richly provides us with everything we have to give. Wealth at St. Matt's. Brothers and sisters, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. By grace, even beggars beg to give globally for true prosperity and global thanksgiving. So let's use our wealth to meet earthly needs and eternal needs. Let's keep being generous. Let's get better at it so that together we can just get on with enjoying all that he so richly